0: Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments. Now available on your Amazon Alexa.
1: Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. A big thank you to everybody that attended our virtual investor conference last night. It was a big success, some very good questions coming through From the audience, if you weren't able to to make it last night, the videos for those presentations are going to be on the UK Investor Magazine website very shortly. There was Tech Capital, Trident Royalties and Advanced Oncotherapy, so do check that out. Uh, For today's podcast, we're going to be looking at markets and a number of UK equities, and to do that once more, we have with us Alan Green. Alan, thanks for being back.
0: Hello, John. Good to be back.
1: So, Alan, we're looking at markets which are. If you look back uh, a week ago uh, and the the podcast that we recorded there, and it it was it was somewhat uh, a pessimistic outlook on uh, on markets, but we've seen a a shift in the narrative. I feel over the past few days from this uh, one of a deep uh, recession, obviously inspired by. Uh, interest rate increases and, of course, the, the ongoing cost of living crisis to a situation now where a lot of analysts and economists and, and market commentators uh, have, have changed their tone and then started talking more about a a slowdown. And, and my view would be that that's really in a, in a reaction to what we're, we're seeing in the markets because you know, looking at the FTSE 100 now, very strong day yesterday, uh, again, we're up uh, today uh, looking at the screens here. Um, down on the year, only 0.7% uh, at the moment. So I feel there's, there's an argument to be had that you know, during the sell-off we saw at the beginning of the year and in recent months has largely priced in much of the negativity in uh, a potential uh, recession Uh, higher rates, what that means for for markets. I mean, Alan, do do you think there could be a possibility that we've seen the lows in in markets, not only the FTSE 100, but also looking at, for example, the S&P 500, uh, which is up 7% from its lows? Do you think we've put in a bit of a base for now and we could see a a grind higher as we go through the rest of the summer?
0: I think that's that's a pretty accurate summary, John. Uh, um, You know, we're hearing... Uh, this morning, of course, Continental, the entire company, uh, beats expectations with a four point four percent margin in the second quarter, um, and we're getting some decent earnings numbers out now from the from the majors, majors, and of course that that's going to really, um, tell us what we need to know about the the impact that the uh, that of course the the the, the cocktail of macro events have had on the markets, um. Certainly, it's it's been a, a quiet summer. It's been um, a difficult summer for many companies. A uh, lot, lots of uncertainty still out there. But I think it's about um, the uh, the known unknowns um, uh, as we go forward. And of course, we do now know that um, we're going to have a long and protracted conflict in Ukraine. Um, I believe the Nord Stream pipeline is also being restarted as well. What implications that will have for the energy markets is as yet unclear. But I think the oil price was uh, um, it, it is off slightly at the moment. Um, but certainly, um, you know, there's a lot of activity. Uh, you know, companies are delivering uh, decent earnings. Um, the leisure industry, of course, uh, we spoke about Wetherspoons uh, recently, and that uh, that of course is is suffering. But it you kind of sense it won't take a great deal to turn things around. Um, and we've Undergone this process of capitulation, in the markets and uh, a very difficult few months. I, I don't think we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a sense I think that uh, we're seeing some stability return. Um, we're seeing these gains, um, markets are adding gains again. Uh, you know whether they're going to give those back in a month or so is as yet unclear. But certainly, in terms of price action and predictability, there is a sense that maybe. The markets have calmed a bit now and it's easier to form a judgment going forward than it was a few months ago.
1: So, I mean, look at markets, do you, do you think this, how much is down to to, to central bank uh, and the perception of what central banks are going to be, be doing? I mean, it, we've, we've had uh, the, uh, the governor of the Bank of England mm. um, saying that they're going to be possibly hiking rates by 0.5%. Uh, in uh, in a speech that he gave this week. And we saw very yes. little uh, reaction in uh, equities. I mean, do you think that, you know, those factors, when you're looking, you know, maybe not so much at the FTSE 100, maybe not the, the Bank of England's a good example, but when you look at uh, the Fed, for example, and, you know, the huge uh, estimates of um, interest rates that they're expecting, you know, 0- 0.75% uh, in in terms of uh, the next rate hike you know that they they were pretty and still are to some extent um you know pretty scary numbers but you know the market's got um got used to that now so do, do you think that people are maybe looking forward to uh to the next phase of, of possibly easing saying well okay you know central banks are going to are going to hike and we're going to have high interest rates but then you know they're going to be looking at possibly cutting which could support markets going forward.
0: yeah, well, of course um, the uh, the central banks have a range of instruments at their disposal to to battle high inflation and um, and and to deal with weakness in markets through QE packages and, and so on. Um, inflation of course, is the elephant in the room. Um, uh, it's artificially high, I would argue at the moment, but of course, with the jump in the uh, U.S. inflation numbers last week, the um, the U.S. is uh, is seemingly, in the fact that the U.S. has been called selfish in some quarters by some journalists out there because they're just acting to quell their own um, inflation problems without regard for the rest of the world. And of course, they are, you know, as we know, the U.S. markets do tend to do tend to forge a lead in the world, and, and other markets tend to follow. Um, but I think. Uh, that said, um, that said, the 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 central banks uh, will be uh, adding a few more percentage points to interest rate increases as we go forward to the end of the year, and I think the markets have accepted that and factored that in. And uh, what the ramifications uh, are longer term, of course, for um, for uh, for uh, spending uh, for consumer spending uh, is as yet uncertain and we do know there'll be less money for consumers to spend of course um, if they're paying out more on mortgages and loans and so on but then what happens is um, there's a bit of a lag effect of course the lenders then repackage their offerings to maintain the flow of uh, of customers they'll repackage something in a, against a higher interest rate background that is more attractive and more palatable to lenders which of course has the added effect of uh, bringing confidence back into the market again, and uh, we see we see we see um, a return to to the norm, if there is any such thing nowadays. But of course, we, we, as I said just now, we have got these known unknowns. Um, we've got high inflation, which is coming under control, and the Ukraine conflict, which is going to drag out. Um, and of course, it, we, we've got this backdrop with uh, COVID as well. We don't know how much uh, how much uh, more this uh, the virus is going to mutate and whether the latest round of um, uh, of uh, vaccines will work against the uh, the latest strains but um, this is an ongoing problem but I think the markets have accepted that cocktail there's certainly a sense of um, a, a greater sense of calm in the markets now and um, a sense that perhaps markets are more predictable today than they were last week.
1: Indeed, is it, is it interesting that you bring up Alan there the COVID because, I uh, you know looking at what's happening in China and you know the lockdowns that they've been having over the last few months,
0: mm.
1: it looks as though they may be going into uh, into another one. Certainly, some areas in in China have have gone into to lockdown, and you know that was announced this week. But the market seems to be taking that in its in its stride and, and really really pushing on whereas you know when that news was released previously there was big concerns about global growth and you know how how the lockdowns in China would would hit various different industries and we saw a bit of downside in markets but that's being really shrugged off now so I think for me that that signals a bit of a shift in the market and and maybe sentiment out there amongst uh, investors is improving of course this is going to be something we have to keep a close eye on and see how it progresses in the coming weeks and uh and months so Alan, now let 's look at the first company uh today, Royal Mail, but not to be called Royal Mail for too much longer they've they 've released an update today, Alan, what does that look like
0: well they're going to be called calling themselves yeah. international distributions services plc i mean is that uh, that's an instantly forgettable name if ever there was one isn't isn't it but uh, yeah. it's probably synonymous with the the plight that Royal Mail finds itself in. Um, and of course the the company uh the, the company's unveiled today um, revenues fell five percent in the first quarter to three billion. Um But actually, in real terms for the actual Royal Mail itself, it reflects an 11.5% decline in revenue because it's the International Distribution Service that's the the more profitable arm. But of course, there's so much competition in international distribution anyway. um, A a lot of pundits in the market are are looking at uh, what uh, IDS will offer and saying, well, can it go head to head? With the other big players out there, of course, you know you've got the DPDs and the and uh, uh, the uh, TNTs and all the rest of it. Um, can it actually compete compete with those? So, of course, um, with the uh, with with this fall in revenue, um, the other problem Royal Mail's got is a very strong union, and uh, we've got this pending uh, Royal Mail strike uh, that's uh, that's coming up, which is going to, of course. Cost a fortune, and let's not forget, of course, during COVID, Royal Mail was earning a lot of money from the delivery of COVID kits. Of course, that's now that's now sort of uh, it hasn't dried up completely, but certainly far lower than it was. Um, so it's 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 focusing on this distribution business as the asset that will hopefully get out of trouble. And of course, we, historically, we've seen this happen before. We've seen um, we've seen uh, with other ailing british brands marks and spencer for instance and it's um it's food offering and really i think marks and spencer food you know is right up there probably head of waitrose now in terms of the most desirable uh, grocery retailers out there so it's it, it's been able to reinvent itself um on the face of what the group are doing here um and we've seen a sharp fall in the share price of course this morning shares down they've recovered slightly from the lows of Nearly five percent down, but at two seventy-seven p, they're still very much um, um, just off the off the year lows. So I don't think there's a great deal of confidence around the group, um, and I think they're an incredibly competitive industry. Um, and I, I can't really see, you know, you've got um, inflation ongoing, a, a, a tight labour market, um, unions not supporting the group going forward. I mean. It's raw mail to me at the moment. It looks to be between a rock and a hard place. And uh, it's certainly not, to my mind, something that I would be investing in at the moment. You know, I, I can't see anything on the horizon that will change the outlook for this group. And I think it's got a bit of a battle ahead. The, the only saving grace, of course, is at these levels that uh, the uh, group pays a 6% dividend yield. So if, um, if you b- believe the shares aren't going to fall any further, it might be worth considering getting in before the the um, the ex dividend date and picking the stock up. There's little else on offer, in my view, uh, um, uh, 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 from the group right now.
1: Yes, and you're talking about cocktails in, in in the economy of different factors. I, I think looking at Royal Mail, there's a particularly toxic cocktail of factors mm. at play. You know, certainly not a growth industry, as you said, very competitive. Um, you know, lots of legacy issues, um, very tough environment uh, for them. That's being reflected in the share price. And as you said, very difficult to see how how uh, this uh, inspires any investors to, to move in at these levels. Uh, very tough situation, I, I feel, for, for Royal Mail. And, just, you know, you, you tend to see companies changing their names when they want to, to shed a, a negative legacy. And, you know, maybe that's what mm. Royal Mail is trying to do but whether they've got the the forward looking strategy to to change the operations, uh, I think that remains to be seen. So tough uh, tough times ahead, I see for for Royal Mail. Well, there really so, are.
0: I, I, I think also just adding to that. I mean, we've seen what's happened to the other old British institutions in the past when they try to re- reinvent themselves. Of course, Thomas Cook, the the travel company, went to the wall. Um, you know, very much an old school company, and you know, Royal Mail is is really in in the same category. You know, it has this huge cost base, um, a huge wages structure as well, um, and of course, that wages structure is is very much controlled by the unions too. So, yeah, it's a toxic cocktail, and certainly not an investable proposition for me right now.
1: Yes, yeah, also in a slightly different industry, but BT as well. You know, just yeah. looking at what they've yeah. You know, tough, looking at a five year chart of BT here, tough, tough time for for them. So, yeah, difficult to see any optimism there for, for Royal Mail. So, moving on now, Adam, Pullbeg, Farmer. Uh, we've got an update from them. Shares are up nicely uh, this morning. Uh, what's been happening there?
0: Yeah, Poolberg shares up nearly, f- nearly 5% this morning. Um, of course, Pullbeg, uh was a spin out from Open Orphan. we've spoken about. Open all from before on the podcast, uh, John, um, and uh, it's it, the, the company uh, has an asset POLB one which is uh, it, it's an inhibitor uh, uh, vaccine to uh, treat flu and other infectious diseases, um, and certainly modeled on on other other assets out there or other similar assets. You know, there, there's a there's a huge amount of potential in in this asset for them. And what Poolbeg do, uh, which is fairly unique, is they they take a capital light approach to developing the asset um, in that they will spend maybe two to three million developing the asset to a certain point where it's, uh, say, phase two or phase three. Then they'll partner with one of the major uh, pharma companies like, um, uh, I guess, Pfizer or Solvay or someone similar like that to then develop the asset and take it forward. Carl Friel is the, of course, the chairman of both uh, Poolbeg Pharma and Open Orphan. And uh, after the, uh, or prior to the IPO last year, Carl brought in Jeremy Skellington as uh, as CEO. And Jeremy's got a great track record. He's a biochemist. Um, he in fact joined Influzone Biotech in 2016, which he subsequently um, oversaw the sale, where he oversaw the development of the group. Uh, to be sold to Roche in 2020 for 450 million dollars. So huge potential within the group, um, and they they have indeed um, uh, partnered with a number of companies going forward. One Three Biotech, um, uh, 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 One Three Biotech, it is a notable one, and of course. Um, the, uh, the, the, they're also they also have a, a, a an option with Dublin University to license a preclinical meliadosis vaccine POLB zero zero three. So there's been lots of developments from the group this year. But what's driven the price this morning is a big step forward in that the uh, flagship asset POLB zero zero one is they're commencing or that they, they received uh, clinical permissions uh, and authority approval. To commence clinical trial activities, uh, literally, um, I think it's starting starting on Friday this week, um, to assess its efficacy in dampening the uh, the immune system response um, to uh, to deal with flu and also to look at the potential for to apply this to other infectious diseases. And certainly, Jeremy Skellington, he's been interviewed on several channels already but he said this is a major milestone for the group um they've done an awful lot of preparatory work and they're going to be receiving data through um uh, uh, uh towards the end of uh, 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 um, towards the end of the year so they won't it won't it'll only be a few months and we'll start to get some meaningful data back from the group in terms of how it how it it's uh how effective it is in, in dealing with these uh, viruses and infectious diseases. And then, of course, at that point, it's highly likely the group could announce that partnership with a major uh, with a major uh, pharma company to develop and and, and take it forward. Unless, let not forget, of course, Jeremy's already got the relationship with Roche and they may well be looking very closely at what the company's doing here. Of course, you know, that's just a uh, supposition on my part, so it should not be taken um, as 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 part of a decision maybe to buy the shares. Nonetheless, uh, you know, this is a big step forward for Paul Beck today. The company's got a market capitalization of just £25 million, which considering the market it's in, if this stock were listed on the NASDAQ, we'd pro- probably be looking already at a valuation four to five times that. It's just the UK markets are very cautious when it comes to valuing stocks. And of course, as we were saying earlier, John, we're coming out of a very difficult time for UK stocks at the moment, and that's reflected in the valuation of the company. But nonetheless, I think this is a, a really pivotal moment for Poolbeg Pharma.
1: Indeed. And I'm sure investors will be keeping a, a very close eye on those clinical results when they come out. Is it? Is it, you know, you say it's a flagship um, project, and is, is there anything else sort of close to be as important for, for Poolbeg uh, as... Uh, as, as the current trial they're looking at.
0: yep, there are a number of drugs and trials in the pipeline. Um, and again, uh, Paul Beck's stated purpose is to develop a range of drugs and they have a number of others in, in the pipeline. I mean, October last year, they, they partnered with Eurofins Genomics uh, to complete an RNA sequencing uh, programme for its respiratory virus um, uh, 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 disease possession, disease progression samples from human challenge studies. Um, they have a platform called Predict Viral, which estimates disease severity, uh, and that's being used by a number of uh, companies. They, they have a, 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 um, an artificial intelligence deal with One Three Biotech Incorporated to identify new drug target targets and treatments. Um, and also in February this year. a a venture with Anabio technologies uh, with the micro and nano encapsulation technology to develop an oral vaccine delivery platform. So of course, uh, all of these developments in association with the drugs um, are designed to obviously um, establish the efficacy of the drug and secondly, to utilize a delivery system for that drug. So there's an awful lot going on with the group and um, certainly, you know, have a look at uh, the interviews that uh, Jeremy and Carl have done recently, and uh, that will give you a very good idea of the company. But I think where the stock is now, you know, we're looking at the share price performance since the IPO, of course, it's uh, traded at highs of 13.7p. Um, and uh, of course, uh, uh, today, Sorry, I'm just looking at the wrong chart there. Just realised that. Um, yeah, highs of thirteen point three p. In fact, uh, year lows of four point one p. And we're just off that level at the moment. So I think you know there's a, there's an awful lot to uh, there's an awful lot to come from the group. And I think this this I believe will be the turning point for Paul Beg for the rest of the year. So from an investing standpoint, um, it's a very good time to get in.
1: Indeed. I mean, we spoke, we spoke about it and, and we, we've had guests on speaking about it. You know, the, the small cap area has been particularly hard hit by this downturn in the markets, much more than than the FTSE 100 uh, has been. We're just starting to see things level off. So, Paul Begg may be one to have a look at. Another company we're seeing a bit of a pop higher in today, Alan, is Green X Metals. They're beginning some activities over in Greenland. What's uh, what's happening there?
0: They are indeed so green X metals um there's uh, there's a legacy asset here um, in Poland and I'm I'm not going to dwell on that too much except to say that uh, there could well be uh, a, a cash injection to arrive from that at some point but I'm not going to dwell on that uh, because because that, that that that's subject to that they subject to legal process and of course there's an awful lot that may or may not take place uh, um, um, in the run-up to that happening or not happening. Um, nonetheless, Greenex Metals have an asset in Greenland. And I spoke about another company earlier this year. that I interviewed the CEO, Elder Olesen, um AX Gold, now Amarok Minerals. And Greenland is fast becoming a very desirable postcode for mining companies and with very good reason. Um, and sad- sadly, one of the... Um, benefits of global warming, if there are to be any benefits, certainly in the commercial sector, is that a uh, territory that's previously covered by permafrost and um, and uh, pretty well inaccessible all year round is now becoming accessible, um, and this certainly applies to the Arc project or the uh, what's uh, Arc is short for the Arctic Rift Copper Project in the north of Greenland. Um, and it's this is right on the northern tip. It's an exploration venture between Greenex Metals and also GEX, um, which which is uh, 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 GEX is um, is uh, short for Greens, Greenfields Exploration. Explorers based in Greenland, um, and uh, Greenex Metals have the opportunity to earn eighty percent of the project of the entire project by spending ten million dollars. By October 2026. So, with their investment, they have the options to earn in, at a scaled, uh, 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 to, to scale into the project valuation, and to own 80. percent So, what is the art project? It's uh, it's targeting large scale copper uh, assets in, in multiple se- multiple settings across an enormous 5,700 kilometer 5,700 square kilometres area and this is a special exploration license in northeastern Greenland virtually unexplored um, but there's a metallogenic province that's been identified which is analogous uh, with the Kiwana Peninsula in Michigan which contains a pre-mining endowment of some 7 million tons of copper contained in sulphides along with 8 or just under 9 million tons of native copper and uh, Arc is uh, contains at surface high grade copper sulfides from fissures in the crust um, and bubbles in lava flows and all the rest of it. And certainly, Greenex uh, this morning um, announced uh, with the following literally months of preparation, uh, five geological teams have been deployed in the field, supported by all-terrain vehicles. Um, and uh, they're, they're, they're sailing from Iceland and they'll access the art project through Independence Fjord. I mean, this is right at the north of Greenland. So, you know, it, it is uh, it's very remote indeed. But um, they're already through the desktop sampling and the historical data, they've identified what they refer to as walk up sulfide targets. So you can literally walk up. There they are. And of course, with the equipment, they can then conduct an awful lot more uh work so we expect an awful lot of news to come from the group um there are some very good in fact on the uh brand uk website and uh, the tweet that we put out this morning you can actually see there's a multimedia version of the announcement actually on the company website so you go to go to that link through then you can see an awful lot of maps plus an awful lot of detail on the history um so certainly, to date, geochemical sampling has also identified stream sediment samples with native copper, um, and and, uh, and th- there's a there's a raft of data already. You know, this is even bearing you know bearing in mind that uh, uh, the area is still virtually unexplored. But from this area around the targets identified, um, there's an awful lot uh, that they can go at immediately. Something that's also worth noting too, and again, this was became very evident through my interviewing elder Olafson that um, the uh, the Greenland government are incredibly supportive uh, for mining projects um, and there are many grants uh, available to companies operating there um, and also uh, if you employ locals to become part of the company and to engage with the team then there are lots of uh, benefits for companies employing the locals and so on. So the tax breaks out there, the um, the government, uh, the government incentives to operate a company there are incredibly good, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing an awful lot about that from uh Greenex Metals as we go forward. So currently, the share price today, as you said, John, John, it's uh, it's up nearly seven percent. So you know, there's a lot of expectation here, um, and certainly that you know, that's from a fairly sort of flat year to date. Uh, we've seen the shares as high as uh, as they are today, but also um, back at uh, Tempe as well. So um, giving the company market capitalization of about 35 to 40 million pounds sterling. But the size of this asset, it's referred to as a world class asset, um, a world class copper asset. And expectations are very high indeed.
1: Yes, and as you mentioned there, um, you know, climate change, of course, what they're doing there with the extraction or planned extraction of, of copper. You know, coppers, You know, we talk about lithium and cobalt, but, uh, you know, coppers, you know, the demand for copper to, to facilitate uh, renewable energy as, as well as uh, uh, electric vehicle revolution, uh, copper demand is, is going to shoot through the roof. So uh, anyone that's at this exploring Uh, Particularly interesting to to keep uh, an eye on them. So just as a recap today, the stocks that we discussed, uh, Royal Mail, which won't be called Royal Mail for too much longer, uh, with a ticker of RMG. It'll be interesting to see whether they change that ticker. I would have thought that they do. It was then uh, Paul Beg Farmer with a ticker of P-O-L-B. And just then was Green X Metals with a ticker of G-R-X. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, John. Just as I said at the beginning of the podcast, do check out the video section on the UK Investor Magazine website for the latest investor presentations from Advanced Oncotherapy, Trident Royalties and Tech Capital. Thanks very much for listening.